Welcome to Restored for Life with Pastor Ben Harris, the senior pastor at Restored Community Church, where God's perfect word restores imperfect people. Here's today's message from Pastor Ben. Turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 39, where we continue the story that is Joseph. We'll begin in verse 21. As we continue in our study of the life of Joseph, I've titled the message today, Thriving in your waiting room. A few days ago, Pastor Matt and I met a rep uh, to sign up for Medicare. Actually, uh, he was signing up. I was just there for moral support. (laughs) (laughs) But the lady that gave us the, the info we needed, when we were all finished, we turned and started to ask her questions, you know, how she was doing and if she had a faith and began to uh, talk spiritually to her, which really impacted her because she was surprised to learn that we actually cared about her personal life. And through her tears, she shared her story of cancer. Um, She'll be getting some news from the doctor as to how to proceed. And we asked if we could pray for her. And we were surprised when she shouted yes and grabbed our hands. And and we just prayed in the middle of Starbucks there for this lady. Very powerful. So many people going through hard times. And that's why the story of Joseph, Joseph, I think, resonates with all of us. Because all of us are either in a storm or we're coming out of a storm. Doesn't sound like good news, does it? (laughs) But the story of Joseph is the good news. We're all going to go through them. We might as well make the most of them as we do. Joseph was on a roller coaster of a life. The favorite child he began in his family. He was the object of his brother's hatred. His ten older brothers absolutely hated him because he was his father's favorite. He was the recipient of the treasured coat that dad had bought him. He was the victim of the RBAs. And if you were here last week, we learned about the RBAs. Resentment, bitterness, and anger. When you perceive that you've been wounded or or talked about or whatever the circumstances are, it begins with resentment. And you can deal with it right then. And you can forgive the person and move on. But if you don't, it turns into bitterness. And you can deal with bitterness right then or not. But if you leave the bitterness in your life long enough, it'll turn into anger. It's what we see on TV. Every time we turn it on to watch the news, you'll see that almost every time the RBAs were involved in somebody that turned violent or, or did something they regret later on. So he was the victim of the RBAs. He's thrown into a pit. And then he was sold into slavery. I can't imagine what that four or five day ride or walk all the way to Egypt would have been like. I can't imagine being separated from my family. That was the last thing that was on his mind when he went to check on his brothers. But then, when it seems like it couldn't get any worse, it got better. He was elevated to the highest position in Potiphar's house. Very powerful man. And just when you think, oh, that's a good ending to the story. Nope. He's betrayed by his master's wife and he's sent off to prison. In my new favorite commentary on the life of Joseph, F.B. Meyer, who lived more than a century ago, and speaks the Old English. I like the Old English because it makes me pause to read each word. And about every tenth word I have to go, what does that mean? What's a fetter? Fetter is that bracelet that goes around a prisoner's ankle. It's usually 
got a chain to it and he's chained against a wall. I'll just give you that because you'll need to know that as I read. He writes this and I quote, Those who have seen the dreary prison at Tangier will be able to form a better conception of what that hole must have been like. Imagine a large gloomy hall with no windows, paved with flags, flagstone, picture the flagstone on the, on the ground, black with filth, no light or air, save what may struggle through the narrow grated aperture, and which the friends of the wretched inmates or some pitying stranger passes in the food and water, which are the sole staff of the life. No arrangements for any kind of being made for cleanliness or for the separation of the prisoners. All day long there is the weary clank of the fetters around the manacled feet as the victims slowly drag themselves over the floor or revolve again and again around the huge columns which support the roof and to which their chains are riveted. In more ways than one does the gospel of Christ preach deliverance to the captives. In some such sunless hall must Joseph have been confined, and this was hard enough for one who was wont to wander freely on the broad Syrian plains. Confinement is intolerable to us all, but especially to the youth. We do not realize how priceless freedom is because we have never lost it. And Joseph never valued it as he did when he found himself shut up in that stifling hall. In addition to the confinement of the prison, there was the constant clank of the fetter. He was bound and his feet were hurt by the fetters. True, he enjoyed the favor of the keeper of the prison and had exceptional liberty within the gloomy precinct so as to reach the inmates. But still, wherever he moved, the rattle of the iron reminded him that he was a prisoner still. He goes on, You may remember a touching allusion of another of the Lord's prisoners to the selfsame thing. So Paul took from the hand of his scribe the pen. Now let me explain this to you for a moment. Paul would recite the letters as Peter and others, to a scribe. Now the Holy Spirit would speak through them, and each personality spoke the letter that they would write, but it was from God, every word, every syllable. And he would speak it, and a scribe would take a pen and write the letters that are in your Bible and mine that we value so much. But at the end of the letter, it was important. How would the churches know if this is an actual letter from Paul? Well, Paul would take the pen, and he would sign his autograph to the bottom, and then they'd go, okay, this is from Paul. We, it can be trusted. So Paul took from the hand of his scribe the pen with which to write his autograph, the token in every epistle of genuineness and authenticity. And as he did so, he felt the pull of the chain that fastened him to the soldier of the imperial Roman guard. And we can almost hear the clanking of the iron in his closing words to the Colossians, chapter 4, 18, and I quote, Remember my chains. 
Joseph was experiencing a great injustice at the hands of Potiphar's wife's great lie. But what she and everyone around Joseph couldn't know in the moment was that God was preparing this young man to be ready to handle the great promotion at the end of this epic story. And God, the author and finisher of our faith, is writing an epic story with an amazing ending for you and I as well. But we must first be taught and trained and tested just like Joseph was. Joseph didn't go from the back of, of of a slave wagon into the courts of Pharaoh. That's not how it works. No, he had to be taught, trained, and tested in order that he might be ready for that great promotion. And we must go through that as well. We don't get a pass. Chuck Swindoll said this, a faith that hasn't been tested cannot be trusted. So we must go through God's boot camp before the battles, before the glorious victories that God has for each one of us. In our story, we see Joseph's three-phase boot camp that he goes through. In phase one, we see the test of waiting. Verse 21, we begin now. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy, and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. That's the second time we've heard that just today. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. Captain of the prison, do you remember who that is? Potiphar. Potiphar knows who Joseph is at the core of his being. He knows what he's capable of. He puts him in charge of the prison and it flourishes. We all take our turns in the waiting rooms of life where we learn to wait on the Lord, where our patience is grown and our faith expands beyond anything we could imagine. People will say sometimes, God never gives you more than you can handle. And that drives me nuts. I want to correct him every time. Yes, he does, though. He gives you something you can't handle quite a bit. And then he holds our hands, and then he walks us through those things that we can't handle so that we will learn to trust him more, that we'll learn to lean on him more that we grow closer to Him in the middle of the storms like we would never grow. Who who would need God if, if you never had a problem? If we never had a problem, the old song says, how would we know that God could solve them? What would be the point of a relationship with God if you didn't need Him? No, we have problems because this world is a fallen world that we live in. And we're going to experience problems. Jesus said we would. He didn't say if. He said, when you have trials. He wants to walk through them with us so that we will grow through the trials. God does some of His best work in the waiting room. That place where we must trust Him deeper, believe more intently, and learn to work while we wait, bringing glory to God as we're prepared for that next assignment where we're waiting and working and growing our faith before God turns the page to the next chapter in our life. But in the waiting room, I came to learn of His powerful presence and His provision for me, a greater vision and purpose for the struggles I was going through. 
And it was there that I began to learn the lesson that God had a much higher and glorious plan for my life than I could ever know apart from Him. My pain, my pit, revealed His purpose in my life. And it wasn't until I learned this truth that I was let out of my waiting room and on to the next chapter of the story. My waiting led me to the will that God had for my life. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, and I quote, it's tragic when a person succeeds before he is ready for it. End of quote. And I look around me at the world and what happens when someone succeeds too quickly to appreciate or too quickly to understand how they got there and they make an absolute mess of their life. You see, it's through the maturing storms of life that we are made ready when we turn from self inward towards God. The testing trials reveal if and when we're ready to turn the page and live out the next chapter He's written for us. You see, running from the storm will only cause you more pain and make you tired in the process. In James 1, 2-4, we read this, My brethren... Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Patience also, a.k.a. endurance. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect, a.k.a. mature, and complete, lacking nothing. Joseph didn't know how long he'd be in prison waiting there. He only knew that this time was a time of learning and an opportunity to serve God. It was not a life sentence. How did he know that? God had made him a promise in two different dreams. And one day, Joseph would be elevated in position and impact. He knew this wasn't the end of his life, but he also didn't know how long it would take for him to get through this. God's made promises to you too in His Word, our Bibles. The question is, do you know the promises that God has given to you? You see, knowing them makes the waiting room so much easier and the learning so much more effective when you know what God's promised you. So stop focusing on your great pain and start focusing on your great God. Take your eyes off of the problems and put them on Him because He's the GPS. He's the person that's going to take you through all of this. He's the one that's going to bring you hope into your life. The problems won't. The problems will only magnify your fear. Here's Joseph's three-phase boot camp. In phase one, we saw the, the test of waiting. In phase two, we see the test of listening. Chapter 40 now, verse one. It came to pass after these things that the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief butler and the chief baker. So he put them into custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison, the place where Joseph was confined. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them. So they were in custody for a while. Verse 5, Then the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in prison, had a dream. Both of them, each man's dream in one night, and each man's dream with its own interpretation. It's interesting, in the Egyptian 
uh, society then, dreams were very important to them. They believed that's how their gods, little g, spoke to them. And so they had these uh, professional interpreters that would supposedly give them the meanings of their dreams that they would have as best they could. So these dreams are very important to the baker and to the butler. And Joseph came in to them in the morning and looked at them and saw that they were sad. I like that Joseph cares about how other people feel. And Joseph came into them in the morning and looked at them and he saw that they were sad. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in the custody of the Lord's house saying, why do you look so sad today? And they said to him, we have had a dream and there is no interpreter of it. So Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me, please. Then the chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him, Behold, in my dream a vine was before me, and in the vine were three branches. It was as though it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and its clusters brought forth ripe grapes. And Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and I pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Now within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you in your place. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according to the former manner when you were his butler. Drop down to verse 16. Now we don't ever do that without coming back to it. But in this story, it's going to make sense at the end. We'll come back and read verses 14 to 15. Verse 16, then the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good. <laughs> hey, Joseph, let me tell you mine. I was also in my dream, and there were three white baskets on my head. In the uppermost basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, and the birds ate them out of the basket on my head. So jo Joseph answered and said, this is the interpretation of it. The three baskets are three days. Within three days... Pharaoh will lift off your head. Prepositions are important. He's not going to lift up his head. He's going to lift off your head from you and hang you on a tree. And the birds will eat your flesh from you. Now it came to pass on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants. And he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants. Then he restored the chief butler to his butlership again, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Through Joseph's great reputation and strong character, God elevated him inside the prison, and this provided him with the opportunity of becoming the valet to two of the king's most powerful servants who were thrown into prison. Apparently, a crime had been committed by one of them, and the authorities hadn't had the opportunity yet to figure out who the guilty party was here, so they just threw them both into custody until they could get to the bottom of it. Over the years of trials and tribulations, Joseph had learned to develop an ear for listening to God's will, and now he would seek God's wisdom for the interpretation of the cupbearer's and the baker's dream, and God would answer perfectly. Listening is not just hearing words, but discerning their meaning and putting them into practice, a.k.a. obeying them. 
the cupbearer had the king's ear and, and God would use this man to free Joseph down the road after the king restored the man to his former position. God gave Joseph the meaning to his dream. The Egyptians didn't practice hanging like we know today. They beheaded the condemned and then hung their headless bodies on the walls of the city. I imagine it was a great deterrent to crime. Joseph had developed the practice of listening to God as well as obeying his voice. And this had seen him through the many years of challenges and trials now that he's had in Egypt. He's been there a while. Listening to the Lord had led him to the success he experienced in Potiphar's house. And now it would flourish him inside of the prison as well. Listen, don't waste your trials by solely waiting for them to be over. Or you'll miss the opportunity you have to grow and learn what God has for you in the middle of them. Read God's Word. Ruminate on it. Listen with a heart to understand it. And it will guide you through. If you don't, don't know what God's promises are to you, your trials are going to be so much harder when you don't know what your Master has promised you. If we're going through suffering, if we're going to have to go through suffering, and we will, let's not waste a single lesson or blessing along the way. Squeeze out every life lesson and truth which will prepare you for that next chapter when He turns the page, the reason for which God created you, your purpose and reason for living. We all want to know what we're here for. God has created you to be who you are with the personality that you have, with the influence that you have, and He placed you in a neighborhood. He's given you influence in your life. He's given you the job that you have so that you can have an impact on this world, just like Joseph did. For Joseph, God created him to save many people alive through a future famine that we'll read about soon. But what's his reason for you? You have to find out. As the chapters build on each other, and they just keep building, you'll find out. Because God will move in your life, and He'll move you into various circumstances along the way. Follow Him to the place He has for you. Listen to His voice and you will hear words of encouragement in your storm and care as He moves you towards your calling. Last week I said before God promotes, He tests. He tests us in a sort of spiritual boot camp in which we discover our strengths and we understand our gifts. We come to, to learn them. But we also, just as importantly, discover what our shortcomings are, what we need to work on. We find those skills which are lacking and in need of much prayer and refinement before the pages turn in our story. God readies us in the boot camp. Three-phase boot camp. Number one, we saw the test of waiting, the test of listening, and lastly, we see phase three. We see the test of trusting. We need to learn to trust in God's timing. As the cupbearer was being released, Joseph tells him in verse 14, But remember me when it is all well with you. And please, show kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. For indeed, I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews. And also, I have done nothing here that they should put me into the dungeon. Now we go back to verse 23. Yet the chief butler 
did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. In this story, we only see Joseph attempt to go around God and grab control from him twice in the entire story. That's quite a feat. I've tried to grab control from God two times an hour. Joseph knows the cupbearer will be back in the throne room within hours. And instead of continuing to trust God for his timing, Joseph decides to tell the butler slash cupbearer to talk with Pharaoh about his unjust circumstances and secure an early release from prison. He's going to make his own move here instead of waiting on God's timing. Listen, we all need to stop asking for directions out of the mess and start asking God how we can glorify Him in the mess. Because it's completely up to Him to answer the when, and it's largely up to us to answer the how. How can I bring Him glory right where I am? How can I grow spiritually in the middle of this mess? The story of Joseph is a powerful reminder that we will all experience the occasional heartache and the pain in our lives. When we begin to ask, what does God want me to learn from this? And how can we glorify Him in the middle of it? Everything changes for us. We take our eyes off our suffering. We take our eyes off of the pit that we're in. And we look up and we place our eyes on the only one that can help us. And in so doing, it becomes easier for us to follow Him to the place for which we were made. The reason... We're alive, the purpose of our life. Why am I here? God will tell you if you ask. Restored for Life is a radio ministry brought to you by Restored Community Church. Visit RestoredCommunityChurch.org to learn more about Pastor Ben Harris and for service times. Join Pastor Ben next time as we set out on a journey to discover the authentic life as Christ followers through obedience to His Word.